Good morning, everybody. Uh, we've been covering for the last four weeks or so a series on the Catch the Fire values, what it means to be a Catch the Fire church, what the DNA and culture and character of this family of churches is. So, we have this FIRE kind of acronym that we use to sum up these values. Adam spoke first, and the F stands for Father Heart, knowing God intimately as a good, loving Father. The I stands for Intimacy. Amy spoke on cultivating intimacy in our relationship with God. R... Anybody can remember from last week? Restoration. Well done. Melissa spoke on uh, God's desire to restore our hearts and to heal our pain. And then we have the little E, which I've been asked to share on. And if you missed any of those prior sessions, uh, just head over to ctfkitchener.com and click on sermons. And there's podcasts there of all the prior ones, except... Amy's message on intimacy, we failed to record it. So we'll just have to have her come back and preach it again. Uh, she doesn't live far, so no problem. Um, so E, E stands for empowering in the anointing, which is wonderful. It sounds a little, a little complicated, perhaps, a little obtuse. Empowering in the anointing, uh, I think, is really none other than looking at what happens when God comes among men and women. The subtext to the entire narrative of Scripture and of God's relationship with men and women is that he would come amongst us, give us his spirit, and then we would continue to take him back out into the world. So empowering in the anointing, we're just going to look at what happens when God comes among men. And when I say men, I'm talking about the race of men. I, of course, include women. And uh, that's where we'll go. Make sense? So I was blessed to grow up in a family where I could see God coming amongst men on a regular basis. I come from many, many generations of believers. Um, and growing up as a kid, it was very normal in my family when somebody was sick for someone to pray for them and for them to be healed. Fairly simple things, headaches, aches and pains, uh, so-and-so's sad, so-and-so's just having a rough time. Going to God and expecting God to have a solution to those problems was very normal in the world that I grew up in. Uh, my grandfather, I've spoken a little bit about before, a couple of weeks ago when I spoke on community, he had a powerful ministry to people who'd experienced demonic oppression, to people involved in witchcraft and the occult. Thankfully, I didn't have to see any of that happen. I heard many stories of my grandfather ministering to people and of people experiencing real freedom in their lives. So this was normal for me. As I grew up, uh, built my own relationship with God, when my wife and I moved uh, to Finland, uh, we saw as well for our own selves really amazing things happen with God, where we would be uh, sitting, uh, having a meal with friends, and the power of the Holy Spirit would enter the room, and people would be spontaneously delivered of, of demonic oppression or uh, healed of years of emotional turmoil. I'm thankful that that is normal for me. But I'm aware that for many people, that is not normal. For huge portions of the church, that is not the Christianity that you've grown up in. For huge portions of the world, God is simply not 
an involved person in your life, and there's rampant hopelessness. So I think there is this uh, expectation among humanity. There's this. I think we have this hunger for God, and yet also this fear of God. And if we look through the Old Testament of Scripture, there's this desire amongst everyone for God and also this really strong fear of what is God like? What if he's not safe? What if he's not kind or, or good? What if when God comes into the camp, some of us get killed? And I think as humans, we have this tension inside of us where we desperately want something bigger than the world we see around us. And we desperately want something higher and, and richer and deeper and hopeful, hope-filled. But at the same time, what is it going to mean for us? And is it going to kill us? And what are we going to have to lose in the process? And there's this fear that gets wrapped up with desire. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? I know that's, I think that's what I, what I would feel. And even at night sometimes, you know, I'm like, God, I love you. And I'm also terrified. And so uh, God does something really wild to address that. Any discussion on the Holy Spirit is a discussion on the nature of God. Any discussion on knowing God as Father is a discussion on the nature of God. Any discussion on building intimacy with God is a, dis a discussion on God and restoration. All of the fire values are discussions about God himself. We cannot divide one thing from the other and say, well, empowering and the anointing is just all about the Holy Spirit, so I'm just preaching the Holy Spirit today. You cannot preach the Holy Spirit without preaching Christ. You cannot preach the Father without preaching Christ. So let's just make that really clear. God does something radical in response to our desire for him and our fear of him at the same time. And he wraps himself in human flesh and comes to earth to show us once and for all what he is like. So when I spoke a few weeks ago on community, I gave this very simple picture of God. I said that for all of eternity before creation, God has existed as the original lover, as the beloved, and as the love itself, the substance and nature of that love. And that's a really simple picture of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is a, a word picture to try to encompass something that cannot be encompassed in language. Our God is so vast, and the nature of, of a, the Trinity and three persons in one is never going to be able to be encapsulated properly by our language or by our minds. But this is a simple picture. The one who pours out love, the one who has received the love, and knows the nature of the lover, and then the one who is that love. So God's Son, Jesus, who has been experiencing the perfect, unbridled love of the Father for all eternity, wraps himself in human flesh and human weakness and human frailty, the ability to be killed like a human is, and comes down to earth so that he can convince us once and for all what the Father is like. Because he alone knows and understands what the Father is like. So if we want to understand what happens when God comes among men, which is what I'm saying is all about the empowerment and the anointing, we have to look at what happened when Jesus came among men.
Jesus comes to earth. He's born. He's, he's raised up like a baby, a human child. He becomes a young man. He learns to work, and he is a faithful hard worker. First point about what happens when God comes among men. He lives like a man and gets involved in the things men are involved in. Uh, tradition of the church teaches that Joseph probably died at some point since he stops. He disappears from the narrative we have. So Jesus is the firstborn. It looks like Jesus is probably taking care of the family. Jesus is working. Jesus is supporting his mother, supporting his siblings, depending on if, how you read those passages. Uh, and then he gets baptized. He receives the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon him, which we'll come back to. And then he begins a ministry. And the first kind of major thing that he does is he goes out and he starts gathering a small group of people. So this is your next point about what happens when God comes among men. He gathers people to himself. And Jesus picks a handful of people. Young, it would seem you know, they're about his same age, a little younger. People who need a new vision of hope and love and life people who need a new way of relating to their own humanity, people who need a new way of relating to the humanity of others, people who need a new way of relating to God. And he draws these people around him, these young men and before long women, and he begins to teach them. And like any good local teacher, rabbi, he ends up an integrated part of the community and gets invited to parties. And he ends up at a wedding before too long, a wedding that sadly runs out of wine. And this would be an embarrassing situation for the groom, for the master of ceremonies, for whoever's job it was to ensure there was sufficient wine, they have now screwed up and there is not enough wine and you're now going to be known as the guy who threw the party in Cana who, which ran out of wine. And I'm pretty much going to imagine that everyone in Cana was probably present at that wedding. When the Bible talks about cities, they are tiny. Okay, We're not talking about Kitchener. We're not talking about Toronto. A city was simply a village that possessed walls. Walls is what made it a city. And so a city could, could be very tiny. And so uh, this guy is now going to get a bad reputation in the little town of Cana as the guy who threw the bad party at the wedding. So Jesus uh, turns water into wine, as we know. There's a lot to that story. There's a lot of interesting things there. But the takeaway I want you to think about is that Jesus' first major miracle takes away the shame of this groom or master of ceremonies or whoever would be responsible for the supply of wine they would have been now embarrassed and ashamed, and Jesus instead turns it around. And so instead of this person having a reputation for throwing the worst party, this person now has a reputation for bringing the best wine to the best party. So Jesus reaches out to this person's need and meets it in a miraculous way. It's a supernatural integration with the natural world. And it's very kind of simple, but it's also really powerful. And it would look like there's a lot of wine. The measurements there is like gallons and gallons and gallons of wine. The nature of God is to provide more than we ever can need or imagine. So, some time passes. Jesus continues his ministry. And he, uh, let's say there's one day where he reaches this town. He's coming up uh, out of the boat 
up into the village. He's on his way to, into the town to teach and preach, to meet some folks like he does. He's, he's a part of the community, Jesus is, and his disciples are known. And so this guy comes running down to him and he says, my daughter is dying. My daughter is really sick. Jesus, would you come please and, and heal my daughter? And he says, yes, I will. So Jesus follows Jairus towards his home. As they reach the village, there's a crush of people, and everybody's, oh, Jesus is here, Jesus is here. And they surround him, and there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And she captures this vision that if I touch Jesus' clothes, I'm going to be healed. And she, this is a woman who's an outcast from society, who can't enter the social system because of the religious law, because of what they understood about the limitations that God had placed upon them. The understanding was faulty. And so this woman boldly, bravely, and sacrilegiously works her way through the crowd and touches Jesus, and boom, she's healed. And this is not just a healing of her body, though it is a miraculous healing of her body, but this is going to restore her place in society. This is going to erase her shame. This is going to completely transform every aspect of her life. Jesus blesses her and then continues on. But because of this brief delay and the crush of people, by the time he reaches Jairus' house, his daughter has died. And he goes in and everybody's mourning and they're crying. And Jesus says, listen, she's not dying. She is asleep. We'll wake her up. And they laugh at him and they say, you know, get out of here. And I, maybe, maybe, they're, maybe they're really running him down or maybe they're just experiencing a whole lot of emotions right now because this girl has just died within minutes. And either way, Jesus says, okay, hold on, look, you guys. And he walks quietly into the room and he wakes the little girl up and he brings her back to life. Restores life into this body. And brings her back to her father and mother. And lest we think that Jesus wasn't emotionally involved and didn't understand these people mourning, we have another story not long later of Jesus' own good friend, Lazarus, dying, going into the tomb. Jesus makes his way to Bethany, a place that from Scripture it would seem Jesus spent a lot of time. These are his friends, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. This is uh, a place where Jesus likely spends a lot of his time. And everybody is mourning, and Jesus himself weeps. He weeps at the loss that he's experiencing for himself right then. Lazarus, my friend, isn't here to greet me. That burdens my heart. I'm sad. I'm crying. I'm, I'm, I'm joining with my friends here in solidarity for the heart pain that they are experiencing. And also, of course, Jesus understands that death was never meant to be a part of the human experience. And so he has this even deeper grief at the nature of death. And so what does he do? He walks up to the tomb and he calls Lazarus to come out. And Lazarus comes forward, raised from the dead. And then Jesus does some, says something really wild, which is a foreshadowing of what everything that we're talking about here today. He says to Lazarus' community, take the grave clothes off Lazarus. The community of Lazarus is invited to be involved in the restoration of Lazarus to the community. It is a miracle that is wild and supernatural. It involves resurrection from the dead. It is a miracle that heals a community back together. It is a miracle uh, with all these facets and shows 
the emotional, personal nature of God. And we see this consistently through every act of Jesus Christ. When he's walking through a large group of people and there's a a frail, broken man who cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone says, shut up. Don't draw attention to yourself. And he screams all the louder. You know, if if you're willing, let me see. And and, and what does God God say? He says, I'm willing. Absolutely. Boom. Vision restored. This is the nature and character of God. This is what happens when God comes among men. And to see that really simply set up, we look at John the Baptist. John is this fascinating character in Scripture. He the more you study John and Jesus, these guys are these guys are cousins, right? They are they are blood relatives. And John represents the very end of one thing, and Jesus represents the very beginning of something new. John has baptized Jesus. John has announced that Jesus is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. John has said all kinds of things about Jesus that will come will come back to afterwards. Now John is in prison. It's been a handful of years of Jesus' ministry. And for some reason, John didn't become a disciple. John continued his own ministry. And now John is in jail and likely to be killed very shortly. And he starts to wonder, did I miss the boat here? Is, did, did I get anything wrong? Or, or just how, what's going on here? Help me understand. And he sends some of his disciples to go and inquire of Jesus, are you the Messiah? And this is a little heartbreaking, I find, right? Like, this is this, is, this, is this amazing God-filled man who's in prison and is in a dark place and is reaching out. Uh, and so John's disciples come to Jesus, oh, who, who happens to be, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. Just because who knows? You might rock up to Jesus, and that's what he happens to be doing that day. Are you having lunch today, Jesus? Well, yes, and after lunch, I'll have a side of demonic deliverance and the rest of the things that we do. And so Jesus says to John's disciples, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. These are the marks of God coming among men. This is what happens when God comes among men. All of these things. Praise God. And so, Jesus then commissions his disciples and says, all of you can go and minister in my name. And he blesses his 12, and then later there's a whole group of 70 that go out. And when they come back, they come back filled with wild stories that everything they saw Jesus doing worked for them too. When they ministered in Jesus' name, the demons left. The blind eyes were opened. Everything works when we minister in Jesus' name. And Jesus, it says that Jesus marveled 
And the, the, a deeper look at the language would indicate that Jesus possibly jumped up and down with joy. This is just like a wild, God is flipping out with gladness. Marvel does not need to indicate negative surprise in God being like, well, I didn't think it would work. Look, it does. Who knew? But just like, you got it. You took it. You understood it was for you. You did it. Come on. Praise God. Right? I wanted to say, and I saw the devil fall from the sky like lightning. Come on. So we can minister in the name of Jesus, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, he says something that just changes everything for us. He says that he has to go so that the helper may come. He says, it is good that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come and indwell each of us. So we don't have to simply minister in the name of Jesus anymore, but the very Spirit, Spirit that indwelled Jesus, the very Spirit that is this transference of God's love internally within the Trinity would come and be within us. And so we go back to John the Baptist, who said, I will baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Come on. See, God's love is not just some soft, nice, secular human love, like I love cookies, or even like sometimes I love my wife. But it is an intentional, conscious, costly love that will pay any price for the redemption of those it loves. God didn't send his son to die like some evil father saying like, yes, go cross the road and I shall look the other way and hope you don't get killed by a car. God himself wrapped himself in human flesh and came to show us the truth of his good character, and that he would never lift a hand against us. And in fact, he would allow us to lift our hand against him. And the spirit of that kind of love, when it encounters men, does what? Opens blind eyes, delivers people from the demonic, cures people of leprosy, restores people from their shame and their condemnation and guilt and raises people from the dead and it preaches the good news to the poor. And that is the spirit that is available to indwell every one of us today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Shubha. Mm. Jesus, God, we give you praise and glory. We love you. If this God that I've been speaking about, this Jesus, is uh, 
if, if, he's, if he's not first in your heart, then that's where we have to start. If you have tried to live your life independently of God, like we all have at some point, or we all have by default, uh, I invite you to examine your heart just a little right now and just say, how's that working out for you? Because the God who loves you and would pay any price for you longs to lift your eyes and bring hope to your heart. If you are at that place where you are able to say, you know what, I've tried to make my life work, and I've tried to find sources of hope, and I've tried to live a sinless life and not hurt people, and it's not working. And I invite you to surrender in your heart. And what that looks like is, is between you and God. But you might want to say, God, I, uh, I want what you have, and, and I surrender what I've been trying to do because it's not working. If you need a savior, Jesus is here for you. There's no better choice. Say, Jesus, I commit my life into your hands. Show me your spirit. Show me your character. Show me your love. I don't want to be the master of my own destiny anymore. Submit myself to your lordship in my life. If any of you guys prayed that for the first time or prayed it for the hundredth time but felt a shift today that you didn't feel before, then, then let someone know. Talk to a friend. Talk to someone you trust. Talk to Adam or Amy. Talk to anybody here. Who's, you know, just tell someone that that happened because that's an exciting thing in your life. Uh, let's uh, pray for the Holy Spirit. If you have... Yo! If you... Like the sound of what I said, but your experience of Christianity, your experience of God, your experience of this world doesn't line up with that kind of in-breaking, supernatural, loving God who meets your cares, your emotional needs, your healing needs. If that doesn't line up, and you want something more, then, then wave a hand. Anybody here want some more of that? Wave a hand. There's no, there's no shame. There's this beautiful story in the Bible about these guys who turn up to this vineyard and they work the whole day. And then these other guys who turn up at the end of the day and they work just for the end of the day. And the, the guy who owns the vineyard pays them all the same thing. So it doesn't matter if you come early or you come late. Okay, let's have everybody stand up. Everyone stand up. Now, if you want a bit more of that in your life, then, then wave a hand. And everybody else who knows that they've experienced some of that, then I invite you to come around to anybody who's waving a hand. Okay, this is not about me. 
or some fancy ministry team of this church. This, the whole point here is that God in you will minister, all right? So keep your hand up if you, want, if you want more of the Holy Spirit. And if your hand is down, then I'm expecting you to get out of your chair and go and find somebody. Everybody wants more. Okay, if that's not going to work, this is what we'll do. Put your hand on your own head. Put your hand on your own head. <laughs> God, you're good. So here is the secret. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus and have experienced his saving grace, you already have the Holy Spirit inside you. None of these things that happen in our lives, the grace of God comes any other way than except through his Holy Spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit within you. But you can still be deeper baptized and immersed in the Holy Spirit and fire. Shoo! Yeah. Okay, declare over yourself right now. Jonathan? Don't say Jonathan, say your own name. Jonathan? I release the Holy Spirit over you in Jesus' name. Go. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I invite you in your heart to bow the knee of your pride and your dignity and your theology because we can talk about God till we're blue in the face that he is who he is and he will do what he wants if we let him Experiencing the Holy Spirit is not about speaking in tongues. It's not about crying out and manifesting. It is not about being slain in the Spirit. Though those are wonderful things and should not be despised. The simple truth is that God the Father gave all his authority to his Son. And Scripture makes very clear that Jesus gave all of his authority to us. And what was a single God in a, in a single body could become a diffused God in a worldwide body. The Holy Spirit indwelling every one of us, together making up the body of Christ on this earth today. Yeah. All authority on heaven and earth is given from the Father to the Son. And the Son shares it with the one he loves. The one his heart burns for, and that's you and I. So I release in the name of Jesus all authority in heaven and earth over you. Shuba. 
manifestations and crazy stuff simply happens because an uncontainable God has, become, has come upon a very frail and simple human vessel. The lack of manifestations in your life is not an indication of the lack of the Holy Spirit in your life, however. So don't worry about that stuff. But if you'll yield to the Holy Spirit, He'll give you more of Himself. Okay, if you are experiencing a battle in your life that feels like it's bigger than what you can handle, okay? If you feel like there's, there's a monkey that climbs up on your back sometimes that you can't shake off, and you're concerned that you may have some demonic oppression in your life, something that's not just quite the same as the fact that life is hard. Okay, I understand that life is hard but there's something a little extra that's troubling you. Then would you be really brave and just, just wave a hand? Okay, everybody look around, and if someone near you is waving a hand or is half waving a hand because they're not too sure, then go stand by someone like that, okay? Find, if, you're, if, you're, if you're not in this category, go find someone who is in this category, okay? Yo! Press into the Holy Spirit, those of you who are, who are around them, okay? Don't worry about complicated prayers. Just allow the Holy Spirit to pour through you yo, and reach out to them. Maybe you want to pray, come Holy Spirit or more Holy Spirit. You want to pray the Lord's Prayer? Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve and bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I declare freedom from darkness over every one of you in Jesus' name. Okay, if you need to stay doing what you're doing right now, then stay, okay? There's no need to change. If you, if you, keep, you want to keep going, you keep going. So I'll, I'll ask another question then. If you... If you are experiencing uh, real emotional turmoil, everything from depression to anxiety to grief to just struggling to find hope, struggling to believe the best about your situation in life, okay? If you are, are in a real state of, of emotional turmoil, uh, that's an issue in your life, okay? Wave at me. Wave. Actually, you're not waving at me. You're waving at those around you. This is the point. You're waving at your brothers and sisters around you, okay? So, once again, if you're not in this category, go and find someone who is. Look around you. Look for the hands that are up. Go and find someone who's in this category. Those of you who are ministering, let your mind's eye and your spirit reach out to God. See His golden, perfect love flow an unbroken conduit into you and into your friend who you're ministering to. Holy Spirit, come. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Vengeance against death, vengeance against sin and darkness. When religious leaders dragged a woman caught in adultery to the feet of Jesus and demanded that he interpret the law for them, he set this woman free in, in a way that released her from her shame, but that also freed her to not sin anymore. So God's power and freedom in your life frees you from sin. It frees you from the effects of your sin. Shuba. Thank you, Lord.
to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Okay, if you're making progress or things are going well, keep going. No need to stop if things are working for you. But I'll ask another category. If you are sick in your body, or you are infirm, if you are frail, if you are sick of wearing glasses, if you have a broken bone, if you have scoli, whatever, if things in your body are not the way they should be, or not the way they could be, then, then wave at those around you, okay? Wave at those around you. And if things in your body are, are pretty good and you're in, a, you're in a contented place, then go and find someone who has their hand up. Go and find someone who has a hand up and lay hands on them. If you are frail, if your body aches, let's, let's pray for you. Shoo. Release the Holy Spirit into them. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. healing on you in Jesus' name. Healing on you in Jesus' name.
Okay, if you're still praying, then keep going. But if anyone here has experienced any change on anything we've prayed about, I want you to wave your hand. If you're feeling hope-filled, where you are hopeless, if you're feeling a little better in your body, anything at all, if you've felt anything at all, then look around, everybody in the room, and see the hands up. There are hands up. Okay? This is the Holy Spirit working in you to do this work in the world around you to bring healing and hope and love, okay? That is empowerment in the anointing. And that's your inheritance in God. So take it with you. Take it wherever you go. And let God overflow from you into the world around you. Amen. Be blessed.